Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to another great episode from Public Access America. We're waiting for Jeffrey and that gives me an opportunity to let you know. You can find Public Access America, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Google Play, Player FM, and more. Really, anywhere you find your favorite podcast. One of our new favorite apps is Radio Public. Go check that out. You can find our stream of positivity on Twitter at Public Access Pod. You can find little clips of our episodes on YouTube at Public Access America. And you can find even different clips and pictures and upcoming sneak peeks and everything like that on Instagram at Public Access America. And finally, of course, while... uh, I don't really believe in using Facebook because I don't I don't care about Facebook too much. We do have a Facebook page and we are using it. And on that note, I want to let you know that you can also find Adam Has a Beard, the Denton County Collective, and the Florida Action Podcast as well. Ooh, and we have Jeffrey. I have to pause. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes, changes the world. The world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, eight billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change Change their their lives lives forever. forever. Well, that didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. May God bless us. On pause. Welcome back to Public Access America. Jeffrey just chimed in when I was doing the intro, so you might hear that before the theme song. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be an outro or some weird thing we put on our Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. How are you doing today? Doing great. 
I gotta you say, I, I love this morning because I get my coffee. I get to talk to Jeffrey. It's so cool after the week, like towards the end of the week, just to like settle in, you know? I love your background, by the way. Hey, I love yours too. <laughs> get to see uh, my buddy Adam has a beard and his new logo. Yeah. As well as all of our all the great logos you got there. It's fantastic. We're having great shows. On Denton County Collective, we talked about voting. You know, that we need to vote, you need to vote, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Adam has a beard. We don't really get political, but I still believe that everybody believes you should vote. So we're going to mm-hmm. stick on uh, voting. I don't know if you noticed, but it's coming out Saturday. We do Saturday mornings, so Public Access America every week comes out Saturday mornings. But the episode coming out that came out last week, because we were recording ahead of schedule, is called Global Dysfunction, and Outsider's Perspective. <laughs> Yeah, well, I like that. I think we're both kind of outsiders to this. We don't have uh, conventional views on this stuff. You know what I mean? Right, and and honestly, I think that's uh, it's really needed at this point in time because I my I think my biggest argument is is that I don't know that necessarily the people who are voting Democrat or Republican necessarily have views themselves. I think it's just they've kind of become entrenched in a system where it's like we get told who to vote for how to vote what color and not whether or not it actually aligns with anything we necessarily believe in we get sound bites and we don't ever really sit down and just research right so last night um fun fact uh debbie and uh our our friend slash sister Emily and I sat Hi, down Emily. with our kids. Hi, Emily. And we, uh, we've we all sat down at the table and we went through the voting pamphlet and we voted last night. Nice. And we, and our kids were there. And so we showed, you know, we showed them like what it is that we're looking at and why it's important. So for example, there's one particular race here where you only had two options. They're both Democrat. Um, But both candidates had great qualifications, like lots of education, lots of community involvement. They had served in, you know, in different realms of the political spectrum, but they were still like very active kind of in a more grassroots level. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, well, we told the kids, like, this is what an election should look like. Even if, you know, you don't necessarily vote Democrat or Republican, you should be looking, you should see two candidates that are very qualified, very active. You might not necessarily agree with one side or the other, mm-hmm. but it should be absolutely tough for you to decide and really have to look and see which one, that, which one you think is going to best do the job for you. I agree. And so that was, that was actually our, we spent a good 15 minutes really talking through that one because that was tough. Hmm. Um, you know, it made it really, it made it really kind of fun and exciting because to show the kids that it's like, this is what you should expect, yeah. you know? So we but, had a, we had a commissioner race and it was this lady Caliate who's an activist and works in the community. And then you had Danielle Irwin, who is an environmental expert, and she likes to lay out systems in the city for environment and, you know, explain how buildings could be more environmentally friendly. And like mm-hmm. the, just the two, it was like, what is, what does Tallahassee need right now? It's so 
Right. It's so neat. And I, my philosophy was Kelly will always be fighting in the, in the activist role, but Danielle Irwin being an, an environmental planner, we should grab that while we can, because it could always move, you know? And right. Exactly. Kelly, Kelly ended up winning the, the primary. And so now it's, you know, it's up to Kelly. Go Kelly. Ate. I love her. She's great. She's happy. She's excited. You know, she's a great woman. I like, That's Danielle. Awesome. I like Danielle Irwin because I like the analytic perspective more than the emotion in a politician, you know? Right. Right. And, and really, you know, like that our two choices, they were just, it's like they had a, they had a history and a record of doing great things, you know, granted mm-hmm. one was, one has been a state rep, uh, and they were running for, uh, you know, a U.S. rep. And the other one had been a mayor of one of the larger cities out here for oh. seven years. And, you know, had really been instrumental in helping them grow, like, especially after the financial crash of 08. So it's like you had two heavy hitters in my mind. Like, yeah. you know, slightly different focuses perhaps, but both really truly good at what they did Mm. and a great history of service. So like it made voting for the rest of the candidates a lot harder because uh, only because it's like, it was very clear one side had great qualifications. The other side did not. Mm. And so it was, you know, it was just like, well, I think, I think, I don't know if I've said it on this show, but Republicans are in a, in a post policy party phase and mm. they don't, so they don't stand for anything. They stand against everything to eliminate, to eliminate uh, the appearance of working together. You know what I mean? So that the mm. other side looks partisan too. So no, and that's, and that was really cleared in, in a lot of the record where, you know, where you did have a list of who was Republican, who was Democrat, you saw, you know, in most cases, lesser education. I wouldn't even necessarily say relevant experience. Some of them did have relevant experience. So it's like, okay, you know, as someone who comes from, you know, a conservative background and, and you know, from the farm, it's like mm. you don't always expect someone to have um, the relevant, ex- you know, all the experience. But, you know, if they do have a lot of experience, then great. It's just that whole, does your experience necessarily translate over into the job you're trying to do? Yeah. And well, and you got to say that being on a farm, I grew up in a, like in, in the printing industry and nobody, nobody comes in as the boss. They all come in shoveling shit. And so mm-hmm. I like somebody that not necessarily learns the system, but learns the language of it all. Exactly. And, and then there's also just really, you know, some key things in the way that, you know, the way that people write their, their information that gets printed in the, in the pamphlet, Mm. you know, and for me, it's, you know, some of the keywords that I look at is, you know, I look to see, you know, whether they're trying to list what they've accomplished or, you know, what I like to consider the, the Royal we, what Mm. we have accomplished. Because really, you know, a politician like that understands that they can't do anything on their own. It's, you know, really the will of the people and the people that they work with making right. this stuff happen. 
So, you know, when, when someone's very into bragging about themselves, I tend to be turned off by them. It just, yeah. it's my own personal preference. You know, I understand you may be the leader, but that doesn't mean that you yourself got all of it done on your own. You had to have people yeah. there that supported you, that worked with you, that you compromised with, more yeah. importantly. I totally so. agree with that. I have a, a saying that if if we could do everything ourselves, we'd be the only person on the planet, you know? It's true. And I, and I want to say, like, I was telling somebody this earlier that I feel like it sucks to be a Democrat. You know what I mean? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not happy being labeled that in this big blue spectrum of shit. <laughs> right. But, but what it is, is it's everybody. It's not these two parties anymore. It's blue and red, but we're both fighting a third, a third party, which is Trump. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to explain to Republicans, he's fucking you just as bad. You know what I mean? He might mm-hmm. short term be giving you what you wanted in the first four years, but I guarantee you he's going to start taking away from things from everybody in the next four. And so we, mm-hmm. we, we're not, I'm not, whenever I criticize Trump, I'm not criticizing like the, I'm going to say the Lauren cult because maybe that's the most, the most relevant, you know, just basic Republican, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I'm not criticizing them. I'm criticizing them for supporting another party called Trump. You know what I mean? And I do blame the Republicans in, in power now for being in that party without telling us. We didn't get to vote on are they going to be Republican or Trump. We voted Republicans to be a check on the Democratic House and the Trump party. It's a great three-party system, and if they all worked with equal power, we might actually see something unique because of the diversity in government right now, but we, we don't because it's so partisan, you know what I mean? It really is, you know, and, and I've, I've talked a lot about what I always thought the Republican party was versus what it's become to me. If, if you want to know what I, if you want to know what I grew up with thinking the Republican party was, the answer is Mitt Romney, Hmm. you know, Mitt Romney is one of those people that, you know, I can disagree with him plenty on, but I know that his head and his heart are, you know, at least trying to be in a good place. Yeah, you the John McCain's those types. Yeah, exactly. So like with so like the statement that Mitt Romney put out today or yesterday was mm-hmm. really, you know, it was, you know, he lit into Trump for creating this, you know, you know, really just pushing this divide. He also lit into the Democrats for being childish too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really I think it was it was something that needed to be done and said. And I've said Several times, I think Mitt Romney was a few elections ahead of his time when he ran for president. Well, he made he just made that mistake, and in, in a in a media world, you can't do those. Well, you couldn't do those. Things. You couldn't, but here we are. And and honestly, it would not surprise me that let's you know my hypothetical chess move here is is that Biden wins, and in the next election they run Romney against you know, Biden or, you know, Harris, if Biden doesn't make it through the term. Mm. 
I think Biden personally has designs on being only a one-term president simply so that way, because there was an issue that needed to be addressed. I don't know that he really necessarily had any intentions on getting involved, but seeing where things went, he was like, I got no choice. Uh, I got to try because right now this isn't good. And honestly, we got to go back to the moment when we were picking Joe Biden to run for the, in the general, because Trump was a Titan at that point. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was 95% of the party. He had, I think 45% popular. And I don't believe that Trump supporters necessarily fill out polls and stuff. So I, I think he had a lot of support and, and we needed an old white guy to go against him. If we had looked into the future and saw how just depleted and decrepit Trump had become, anybody on there, I mean, except for like Inslee and Down, you know, would right. have been a great a candidate. I mean, I think I don't. I don't know that I agree with that. Like uh, O'Rourke, Pete Buttigieg, they both would have just been better than Trump at this point. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Simply because. This is all about courting the centrist. Pete Buttigieg might have been absolutely a, a potential, mm-hmm. but O'Rourke would not have been. He, <laughs> he would have lost the centrists. Do you think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, the centrists, you know, are usually people who are, you know, pretty gun-loving themselves still. Yeah. And Beto made it a point that he's like, you know, he said it, we're going to come and take your gun. And oh, yeah. that was, that just wasn't going to, that, that in and of itself would push the centrists over to Trump. And that is going to be the one line that every Republican uses against every Democrat from the exactly. now Exactly. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, you know, Beto really, really shot the team in the foot on that one. Yeah. But you know, you, you got to look at the time frame, dude. I mean, like El Paso was just shot the fuck up and he is so upset and pissed, you know. And so, I don't blame him one bit for saying that because mm. the, I know exactly where that was coming from. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's become a Republican talking point, you know. Of course. It, it, made, it, it made it harder to say that Democrats aren't going to take your guns. Yeah. Because <laughs> you had a Democrat saying, I'm going to take your gun. <laughs> I think if I was a politician, one of the first things I would do would give a speech and put all the crazy sound bites I could in one speech. Like I eat babies, <laughs> you know. I'm a vampire, you know, and just say it for like an I hour. I look up weird porn. Right. And then just be like, every time there's a sound bite, be like, yep, it's from that first one, whatever. <laughs> right. You know, I've always I've always contended that if you know, with sound bites out there, I want someone to actually have to read that in court if mm-hmm. they actually need to, yeah. because you know, it, it to me it's you know it's funny it's a yeah, yeah it's a game and so yeah. I know that they're not going to do it, <laughs> right? Unless unless something really stupid happens, but at this point in my life, I I'm too tired to do anything stupid. Yeah. I've been leaving a little trail for the federal government in my, in everything. I was talking to Adam once about uh, public access America. And I said, we're going to get a group of shows in every state and we're going to become the voice of the people and the media will be nothing and we will be Kings and we will kill them all. And I just left it like that. 
<laughs> Pretty much. I want the government to go back and have to really, they're going to have to listen to every podcast, you know, Denton That'd County Collective, Denny, <laughs> Denton County Collective. They're like, this is what I do to relax. How about you, Jason? And I was like, oh, I build pipe, pipe bombs. How about you, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, let's see here. This when week, you Ryan. said you build pipe bombs, you're, yeah. you're sitting there going, yeah. oh, man. Do I look like I have the coordination, vision, or knowledge to be able to build a pipe bomb? No. Right. <laughs> and then the next week, Ryan was like, man, you had me uh, slightly nervous for about a week because I could see you building pipe bombs. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know what that says about you, them, think, what they think about you, man. Right. Well, there was a, a bombing in Austin, Texas. There was the bomber, which is yep. uh, on Hulu. And right during that time, they were trying to get me in a group called civilly disobedient or mm -hmm. something like that. And so I didn't really know Ryan and his friend Ben, and they were coming off as kind of radical because they're, they're, they're pretty liberal, progressive snow. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say snowflake, but you know what I mean? The, um, what the right consider a snowflake. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, I thought they might be the bombers. You know what I mean? And so oh, it's, it's kind of weird that we all think each other are more radical than we are, you know? Yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, I think that's really the, what the product of the time is, is that everybody thinks everybody's a radical. I mean, when you yeah. look at that, that is constantly that is constantly being thrown out there. Radical mm -hmm. this, radical that, radical left, radical right. And it's like, yeah. you know at least when I was back in, you know, a, a kid in the eighties, radical was something you heard on the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. And then you start shoving <laughs> pizza in your face. Right. I miss, I, I miss simple. Yeah. I miss, I miss just shoving pizza in my face and that being radical. Sure. I mean, you put bugs bunny on and suddenly I'm just like mesmerized, you know, it's just so simple and easy. And even then the politics were bleeding into the comics. You know what I mean? Oh, so, absolutely. Like, Looking Absolutely. at it from my perspective, like 10 years after, 20 years after it was, you know, made to when it was actually made has got to be, it's just amazing. And we think this is the worst time in the world. But then if you look back, there were times 1968, were, uh, 1941, you know, there was moments in history that were just worse than this, you know. We, you know, our October 29th, 1929, mm. you know, the day, the, the day the market the fell market, out, yeah. you know, we have lived through some of the worst times yeah. and come out better for it. And one of the things that I keep having to discuss with, with various people is, is like my generation has gotten to black Fridays almost back to back within 10 years. It's like, it's like, I can appreciate that you guys have had some downturns and some struggles, mm -hmm. but of the three worst, you know, the, the, the great depression was the worst right. and the 08 and this crash are number two and number three. Mm. It's like, so it's like, I get it. I get that you've seen your fair share, but when I say that we've had it worse, I mean, that's, there is no argument. More consistent, you know, even our, more consistently, yeah. Yeah, and it's like even our grandparents only had to deal with a bad one once, really. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, my professional career has started out and so far is two massive financial crashes. Hmm. 
On the other you hand, know. you have great dentistry, and they did not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Great like, health care. You know, we have more programs to help keep people alive. Did they even have bleach back then? You know, or were they just using, like, lye soap? That's what's funny to me. You know? like, oh, even it's... the 70s, I imagine, is so dirty. <laughs> like, we in the 80s, we were like, oh, shit, wipe everything up, clean it up, you know, let's shave our actors and stuff, you know? Right, right. But, you know, I think... you when you look at how some of our gener, you know, some of our generation has done versus some of the others, you know, mm. I think, I think in some cases there we've overly sanitized things to the point where it's like our body just doesn't know how to handle most natural things. Yeah. That's not to say that I'm, you know, what are they, what did we call it? Uh, you know, N A H I, you know, uh, naturally acquired herd immunity. Mm. Right. Like, okay. There's there's something that I could go into and launch a tirade on, but basically, <laughs> basically boil it down. There there are two ways to reach herd immunity. Number one, naturally, aka Darwinism, aka you know you're looking at a pile of dead bodies over time, over a ten year period. Well, or in a COVID world, it ain't taking very long. It'll it'll take. <clears throat> it took Sweden four months to reach herd immunity. And if you, I, I did the math and I'm just going to say I did the math. And if you take that and compare it to 360 million, it takes us just over 10 years. Right. Or, or you, you know, wait a little bit, you spend some time, you spend some money, you get a vaccine out and then you acquire herd immunity with a uh, lower body count. Yes. yes. And, and, and I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for option B because you know, let's embrace the science. You know, naturally acquired herd immunity is great when you have no options available. But yep. here we are in the modern world. <laughs> yeah. Granted, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about, you know, what vaccine does come out. And good, you know, we'll, we will figure it out. We will test. We will find out what's going to happen. So it's just one of those things where what about that. Oh, <laughs> popular already this morning. Sure. I forgot to turn on my settings to mute. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I, 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 I have, I have an uh, infectious disease microbiologist, wait, infectious disease endochromologist friend who joined the, national guard because he wanted to be on the front line of covid tracing and stuff and mm -hmm. just an amazing guy and i i uh when i first saw it on the news that herd immunity like it was a word that just came out one day and the minute i heard it i i messaged him and i was like i'm scared what the fuck is do they plan on trying herd immunity and he's like that's not good herd immunity has to be done quickly otherwise it bounces you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You're going to get infect the East Coast and then the Midwest, uh, West Coast, and then people are going to recover in the West and they're going back to the West. And it's just going to continuously kill people until it doesn't kill. But it's going to grow stronger. COVID-19 was just discovered in 2019. COVID-20 just hasn't been discovered yet. And COVID-21 is going to kill the people that COVID-19 did not kill. And that's, you know, and as we've seen already, you, you know, there's been, I think, four or five 
uh, documented cases of reinfection. And here's where it stands right now. One person was asymptomatic, two people got more severe cases, and one person died. So what I tell people is that's not nearly enough to, to say, hey, here's what the pattern is going to be, because it could be that there have been more cases of reinfection than we know, mm-hmm. and there are more symptomatic people. It's It's just hard to say at this point but you know we it's not that it's uncommon when you look at the chicken pox you know we all probably knew one or two kids when we were kids that got a second round of the chicken pox Mm. because they didn't get a very severe round the first time and i knew a couple kids like they got the chicken pox and they were like oh it wasn't that bad and we're like what do you mean wasn't that bad yeah, yeah. And the, you know, they were out for a couple of weeks, they came back, they were doing great. And then they got hit with another round and it was worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not uncommon, but it's not common either. So. Yeah. But that's just it. It's the law of averages. It's not a consistent, it's not static. It's not, this is a cure all for everybody. And we just, in you know, straight up, we just don't know yet. And, and we'll, we will find out, but there is a, there is a way to make sure that you get fast herd immunity and that's through vaccination. And yeah. that's the other thing too, is, is that, you know, when you look at a population group, like say Sweden versus the United States, you know, herd, maybe herd immunity might make sense for them, but it I don't did, know. It did not, by the way. They, they, <laughs> I don't think they, it does. They abandoned that, but that's what the, my friend from Sweden sent me an article and said, why aren't you guys doing this? And I was like, 10 years, how many people is, are going to die? We're losing we're losing like 40,000 40, are getting affected, 1,000 a day. If you extrapolate that over, you know, the 10 years, how many people are we going to lose? We can't birth that many people, you know? Right. Well, and the other, the other issue, too, there is, is that, you know, when you look at the, the demographic groups for who is affected the most, you know, pretty much my age and younger, you know, it's equivalent to about the flu in terms of rate of death. But as you start to get above my age group, then it starts to climb up to a little bit more deadly than the flu at the next level up. But then 70 plus is up sitting at about a 5.5% mortality rate. Mm. I mean, it's like, oh, you don't think that's a whole lot, but, you know, think about your family and then I want you to ax 5% of them. Just right willy-nilly don't you know you don't have any rhyme or reason you know it's literally draw from a hat that's the one that's gone yep and so there was a movie like that where the guy was standing there and people just i think it was like the matrix or something where they just were getting unplugged or something and just falling down dead that's what i imagine it like you're just walking around and people a thousand people just keep falling down dead you know what i mean I think, uh, and we're heading into the time of the year where, you know, the people that have experienced that loss, is it's going to be rough. Mm. You know, there are going to be empty spaces around Thanksgiving table. There's going to be empty spaces around the Christmas tree. And Mm. that's really, you know, that just hurts when you think about it. I mean, I've got, Mm. I've got family who are, who are nurses and, you know, they're saying, you know, our system is so overtaxed right now and it's just getting worse. And I think what the people who are, you know, thinking about herd immunity don't realize is is that we don't got the hospital beds to deal with, with, you know, the rate of naturally acquired herd immunity. Right. Because when you look at herd immunity through the naturally acquired system, 
that's a lot of sick people. That's mm-hmm. a lot of respirators. That's a lot of beds. Yep. When you look at uh, herd immunity through the lens of being vaccinated, that's a lot less bodies and a lot less hospital beds being, yes. uh, you know, being filled up. I agree. And so I, it's, I don't think they care about that. The transition phase. I think they care about the survivors and the deaths. I think what doesn't kill you makes you stronger mentality. I think that's they, such a bullshit they, mentality. There's so many people. <laughs> you might you might feel mentally stronger having overcome something hard, but physically, let me tell you something. When your lungs aren't working the way that they're supposed to, right. and you're having a hard time getting over to the fridge. Mm-hmm. That ain't exactly a, that ain't exactly a made me stronger moment. Oh no, it's a pre-existing condition, and I think that's what they're working for. Back to the status quo when people just paid for their insurance through their employer. Everybody has a pre-existing condition, so now the insurance companies get to cherry pick who they want. And it's, it's if they kill off a majority of the sick and weak and poor, there's no taxing of the system. I mean, if you look at it in a rational, like, what would I do as God to fix this country? It would be kill off, like, 160 million people you know what i mean ideally that would help the system not from a consumer uh economy but from uh taxation and distribution mm-hmm. yeah and and what people you know on the naturally acquired herd immunity side are you know taking into account is is that you know when you have that many bodies that are going to be sick and laying in a hospital bed what that means is that the people who are sick and need treatment, not COVID related, mm-hmm. are now being, you know, pushed off or pushed outward or somewhere else and it becomes more dangerous for them. Yep. Like that's basically you're just trying to shove the burden elsewhere and when you live in rural communities, that's just not an option. No. No, it's not an option in Tallahassee and we're the state capital. It, I would argue it's not a it's not an option in places either like Seattle. I mean, right. lots of lots of great healthcare systems up there. And man, during the dark times, it was it was rough. Yeah. You know, they didn't know if they were going to necessarily have enough. I mean, when you have the the football stadium get turned into a field hospital, that should tell you, mm. you know, enough. But imagine it being now imagine it being ten times worse and so how would you how would you get us back to normal what what do you see as the way to get the path back to normal from here? The path back to normal to me is you know number one, you gotta make sure that you know people who know they have um comorbidities are able to stay out of the public okay. um, because they're the ones that if they go out and someone else gets reinfected and someone is infected and it hits them, they're the ones that are going to be the, the hardest hit. Mm. But you know, what you see like across, across the world in places that have, I would say are dealing with the virus more successfully is like China. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to play with made-up numbers, then sure, we'll just go the Chinese route. <laughs> but in, in but in places that aren't playing with made-up numbers, um, then what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, wear a mask, stand apart. You know, ah, the CDC came out 
with um, their their assessment of where things are being spread. It's bars and restaurants. Yeah, uh, you know, in other news, we breathe air and water is wet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, really get people get people to stay home as much as they can while still doing the things that support the economy. Like I still get food from the same places that I would normally get. It's just mm-hmm. that instead of dining in, I take it home there and, and I still tip the same amount for the people that serve, you know, are serving me mm-hmm. because I would have expected that service had I been there, mm. you know? Yep. So to me, it makes more sense to do that Make sure that people can stay home. And if you're going to have to shutter businesses, like if you're going to have to force close down some of the serving industry, then you either need to a figure out a way for them to, you know, open up and, and sell things or B you just have to figure out how to fund them to stay home. Like unfortunately here, there's been a lot of, you know, pretty decent businesses that have been around for a while that have, close their doors because number one, the safety is an issue. People keep getting sick. And number two, it's just, it's hard to make that same, you know, in the serving industry, it's hard to make that same model work in a strictly takeout environment. Mm -hmm. I would say that some places have adapted to it. Great. And you know, it was just tough initially when we were all told to stay home and nobody wanted to go anywhere because you know, we didn't exactly have great leadership. We didn't exactly have a whole lot of, uh, we didn't exactly have a whole lot of information as to how we could mitigate the best. But, but then you when think, you, st- how do you think Inslee did? I just, when you say didn't mm-hmm. have great leadership, do you mean like federal or state? Federal. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, having actual leadership would have been great. Like I've said time and time again, I expected the Republican response to be wear masks, stand apart, and we're not shutting down. Right. Because there's data to support that model. You saw, you see that in Korea and Japan. And definitely. And, and those places have, you know, there's a lot of cases, but there are so few deaths, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and in this, I think we've learned a few things like if you're going to have a contagion that spreads, there are some critical places that have to be locked down and mitigated like uh, assisted living facilities. Sure. Like that was an absolute nightmare and it still continues to be a nightmare mm-hmm. where they're it not bubbles. rips. Yeah. They're, they're in a bubble and you know, the people that work with them have to go home and they have to go do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And when they come back in, they're around those people and it just tears through that those places really fast because they're in the population where, you know, it's 5.5% of them are going to die and the body count is just going to get racked up. Yeah. And I honestly think that's where Trump lost it was being Mm -hmm. so flippant about this with seniors. I think seniors were paying attention since the beginning. I think they were scared as shit. They couldn't see their family. There was a new excuse everybody was using to not come over for the holidays, you know? Right. And so, yeah, no, sorry, auntie, we can't come this summer, you know, COVID was, and I think, I think every old person is just super paying attention to this. 
and and that was the, and really you know that was the thing is it's like you're I mean, even with your at-risk group like assisted living facilities, I don't know that even if you wore a mask and stayed apart, that that's necessarily the best option for that group because they are so at risk. Mm-hmm. And so in which case, I think that, you know, locking down, you know, those nursing facilities is the right thing to do just because you have such an extreme, you know, a, a much higher mortality rate in that group of people, Definitely. you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, having had a grandparent that passed away during this whole thing, luckily not from COVID. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, I would not be able to imagine what it would have been like for him having to go through that and having to sit there in an assisted living facility and not be able to do anything, you know, out of fear of having, you know, getting COVID. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. And unfortunately that's been a reality for them for a long period of time now. Yeah. And so really it's, you know, making sure healthcare professionals, you know, don't have to go out and about as much as possible, making sure that their kids don't have to worry about going out as much as possible, making sure that, you know, the highest at risk people are locked down better. And then also too, like individuals who don't fall within that 70 plus age range that do have, you know, that are immunocompromised, you know, allow them to uh, stay home, lock down, collect unemployment and with everybody else it would have been you know where i expected things to be right now wear a mask stand apart and you know we'll keep everything open as much as possible Mm. bars and restaurants are a problem yeah you know mm. i I saw everybody that was unemployed i thought they should transition into contact tracers you know i think they should have been trained to get their money to become a contract contact tracer i don't know why that didn't happen i don't know why i think that's i think that could have been a good option but unfortunately it would be it would just be a temporary option sure of course but they'd be doing something they'd be working for their money and something would be accomplished you know true but we also saw the national guard get deployed to do that here in washington state so to me to me that actually makes sense you guys deploy the national guard for a lot of weird things you know Hey, if if they're collecting a, the if they're collecting a paycheck from us, you might as well put them to work. And and honestly, <laughs> you know, honestly, this is kind of one of those things that I would I would expect the National Guard to do. You know, this is this is under their purview. Right. So to me, it makes it makes perfect sense. You know, well, make sure that you know they have the ability to get the job done that they need to do. You know, try and control this thing as much as we can. But once again, you know, you have this group of people that are going to refuse to wear masks. Yeah, well. You have a group of people that are going to refuse to partake in, you know, something that's, it's not about yourself. You know, right. if, if, if I was trying to prevent myself from getting sick, I'd be walking around in a sealed hazmat suit. Right. It's not how this works. Nope. It's like, I don't have the expectation that I will never get COVID. I have the expectation that I'm going to take, you know, the reasonable pathway of making sure that if I have it, I don't spread it. And that's really all there is to it. You know, this, I'm not wearing that thing for me. I hate the Mm -mm. damn thing. I'm wearing it so that way I don't get somebody else sick. That's the way I look at it. My friend has a 92 year old mom and I told him, I just... 
I'm not as cautious as you. I can't, you know, I don't want to risk it because I, I worry about your mom. I don't worry about you, my friend, you know, he's a big guy. He can handle it, but she can't. And so that's, mm-hmm. I'm a little more liberal. I go out to restaurants, you know what I mean? In Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I wear a mask and I call ahead and we social distance and they wear masks and mm-hmm. everything's wiped up with the hand sanitizer. So I trust the yep. person I'm with and I I got to get out. I got to do something. But I do it cautiously. I hate these people that are like, I want my rights back. I, You know, you will. But just give me my rights for 12 weeks and then you can have your rights back. You know, That's what I'm asking. Well, and, and that's the thing is, is that I, I think that. I think you've seen some small businesses figure out how they could make this particular system work for them. Mm. Some figured it out very quickly. Uh, others didn't. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see that some of my favorite places are back to being busy again. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunate that it has, it, it, it took its toll on, on them too. Oh, for sure. But now that people are finally, you know, people are tired of being cooped up, you know, yeah, they can't be at capacity, but people have been, you know, coming in to get the same meals that they always got. And, you know, I think that's one of those things that we, you know, really needed to embrace. And to me, what it showed me is, is that there's some opportunities in, in those, those specific industries where we can, you know, make some improvements. Like for example, um, like going out and getting food and coming back, it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, I just, my food's a little too cold by the time I get back. Agreed. It's like, you know, I, can we figure out a more environmentally friendly slash better way to keep my food warm while I go from point A to point B? Or yeah. Cause DoorDash stop sending me mush. You know what I mean? It's supposed right. to be a burrito, not a fucking pile of dough. And I mean, if Pizza Hut can show up with a piping hot pizza, right? There's, there's, there's an answer here somewhere, you know. And whether it's something that we get, you know, individually that we take to these places, or it's, you know, they change up the the packaging for the cartons. Mm-hmm. Like for me, one of the big things is, is I like, you know, we've had to order a few things, and there's been a few places that. You know, they've really worked to reduce, like, the amount of styrofoam and things that aren't recyclable. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, everything's packed to its cardboard or it's compostable. Right. And it's like, okay, that works. because. Does it, but does it work? That's what Because styrofoam used to keep everything warmer. You know what I mean? And I know I'm thinking, since we switched to paper, yeah, I get cold food even from the counter of McDonald's, you know? Right, exactly. And and that was, you know, and that is still true. Styrofoam is still a better insulator. That is, mm. that is the case. But just because, you know, why is it that it is uh, still a better insulator? You know, we have... We have the technology. <laughs> we, we have the technology. We sound like the bionic man now. <laughs> right. I mean, there, you know, when you think about it, it's like what possible options are there going to be in the future for us to, you know, deliver food in a way that's sustainable, but I also still get my hot food. <laughs> right. It always ends because, up with food. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's between food and porn, you know. Right. Because when you look at, like for example, one of the things food, that food and, I, porn. I love that food and porn. Like for example, you know, do you remember HD DVD? H yeah 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 yeah. 
and how that quickly disappeared. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why did we end up with Blu-ray instead of HD DVD? It's like beta or VHS, right? Why did we end up with it? Why did we end up with it? The porn industry embraced Blu-ray. Love it. Love it. I think one and, of the last porns I bought was a, was a Blu-ray, Jenna Jameson. And it had, I bought it because I thought it was so ridiculous. It had commentary, like a commentary track. And I thought, oh my God. I got to know. I got to know. And it had uh, alternate scenes. But what that meant was there was a button you could push and it would reverse the screen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, this is like so technology, you know, this is just, I get to listen right. to them talk about the porn that's going on right now. And this is fucking hilarious because she has a birdcage woven into her head. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so absurd. It's so funny, but here we are. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, some of the things that we've adopted have simply be, you know, because some industries are better at pushing things than others. I guess. Yeah. You know, and so? then we, but we always seem to go back and like retroactively find these niche things that disappeared that we like, you know, I'm always oh, seeing yeah. people, my, um, my friend Tammy just came home with like a 1930s bread box and you know, my, uh, my friend Nikki's like, no, I need a bread box. And Tammy's like, no, that's my bread box. And we're just constantly looking back in time for the niche thing that makes us unique. But at the time, nobody wanted, you know? Oh yeah, no, it's, there's, you know, you think about it. How many, how many people still have like canisters of flour and sugar and coffee sitting on their countertop? Right. Meanwhile, guess what I'm looking at? canisters for flour and sugar and coffee it's yep. it's it's honestly kind of funny you know just because it's it's like why you know nobody ever wants that stuff now but what why is that suddenly come back yeah so you know i describe everything as like the pet rock donald trump is the pet rock <laughs> you know what i mean it's these phases that we go through you know and Gee, so, was a crazy growth pattern Right, Chia Pet. That was just part of my life. Part of my life growing up, you know, the Empire guy, five eight eight two three hundred. You know, like that's part of my life. Bozo, you know, I'm from Chicago. Bozo the clown was part of my life, you know. Oh my God! Yep, yep. And so I, yep. love, I love that. And we're constantly going. You could go to somebody's house, and I bet you you'd see like Bozo the clown original pictures, and they'd be like, "Check that out," you know. So I, I love that about people. We rush so fast. But we do reflect and we go back and we pick up pieces that we left behind. You know, I think that's been one of the one of the things that I've, you know, like our, you know, the house that we bought was built in 77. And of course, everybody, you know, is like, well, why don't you want a newer house? And I'm like, because I've seen the way newer houses are built. They're not that great. Right. You know, this house has amazing bones. And, you know, really, if, you know, if I wanted to do anything, it's like I can take a room at a time, tear a wall uh, tear a wall open, replace the insulation on it. This house will probably stand for another hundred years easily because it was built well. Mm -hmm. You know, it totally looks like a 70s palace. <laughs> <laughs> but man, is it built solid? Like, it's just not going to go anywhere. And I think that's, mm. I think that's one of those things that, you know, with technology, we, we try to advance as fast as we can. And at some point we're going to hit the point of, okay, now how do we make it last? 
Yes. Yeah, because we've been finding cheaper and more inexpensive ways to be creating what we're getting, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not sustain it's not sustainable, and and the products don't last like, of course, like they used to, you know. Right, and and that's a and that's you know a problem because you know that's waste that is being put out there. Mm-hmm. And there's still just as many toxins in the, what we're using today as what we did use back then. You know. Yeah. I know, right. I know China had lead paint in all of their toys. You know what I mean? So. Exactly. It's you know, and look everywhere. at your look at your parents. They ate paint chips as kids, and look at how they turned. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I had something game. called super foam. You know, and you played oh with God. it in the tub, but it smelled like it smelled like chemicals. You know what I mean? <laughs> the one that I remember as a kid was Gak <laughs> from Nickelodeon. They, it was basically like the kids are making slime. You know, yep. they you know slime became a big thing. Well, Gak was you know slime for my generation. Gotcha. And God knows how many chemicals were in that thing. Oh, and there was also this one where you could like create your own bugs. It was like a gel mm-hmm. thing you can make. Dear Lord, the chemicals that were in that thing could have easily killed any kid. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) But I love that. We had more time on our hands. I think we were talking about kids, you know, and I think when we were talking about cleaning cleaning too much, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought to myself, we kind of emotionally do that with our kids nowadays. We protect them from things. You know what I mean? And I, my philosophy is we have 18 years to train them to be an adult. And I think we kind of overwhelm them with the wrong stuff to keep them distracted from the bad stuff. And it's just, it's a lot for kids these days, you know? You know, I, I, that, I think that's one of the reasons why we have taken the approach that we have in that, you know, I, I've watched, you know, several generations, you know, when, something gets to be difficult they just become paralyzed they like they don't know how to problem solve it themselves it's like okay no that's not the right way to do this it's like okay step one admit that this sucks step two what do we do now (laughs) right because because you know sitting there frozen in fear and panicked is is not going to help you get out of being frozen in fear and panicked right you know and, and that's just been kind of the nature of what we've had to deal with is just like okay well this sucks what are we gonna do now right yep exactly i have a theory complain when when it's everything's fixed because you probably won't want to complain you'll want to brag you know what i mean right exactly exactly and and that's just it was we're getting there you know like my kids it's like you know we've worked with them it's like you know sometimes you just have to admit that what you're doing sucks Mm-hmm. and you hate every second of it and it's like there's nothing that you're going to be able to say or do that's going to change the circumstance you know by just complaining about it but at least admitting it to yourself is like well all oh, right yeah. oh yeah let's have let's have a five minute session of complaining to myself and then let's get this let's just get this handled the best that we can Yeah, and my theory is if you spill milk and you stand there for an hour complaining about it and then clean it for the next half hour. That's an hour and a half of just negativity. But if mm-hmm. you drop it and go, fuck, clean it up, and then spend the next hour and a half thinking I, I spilled milk, you know what I mean? That, that's a little better, you know? To you, me. At least, 
at least do something else during that hour and a half rather than just stand there. And be like, yeah, well, clean up the milk and then stand there and complain if you feel that you want to. But get that shit cleaned up fast. <laughs> right. And that's and that's really where we're at is is that everybody's standing there complaining and nobody's fixing the problem. Right. But nobody's talking about solutions. They're all talking about how so, the other party doesn't have a solution. Right. And so I want to mention, let's see how much time we got left. Oh yeah, we got like 12 minutes. So yeah. I'm going to mention a solution that I saw and I can't really I don't describe it properly because it was just this like thing on TV that I was watching, but it mm -hmm. was so cool. They they so sickle cell disease, right? Yep. It's where they it turns the cells into like sickle shaped, right? Mm -hmm. And so they took they took the RNA that would replace you know the malfunction strand in the dna right and so they took the replacement for that they took out and they put it in the aids virus because the aids virus is exceptional at changing dna in in uh, our bodies in our cells mm -hmm. and so they they replaced the aids infection with the proper gene for sickle cell and they they're they're testing it and people were dying but there's been success in that and i the guy that was explaining it in layman's terms says there's over seven thousand genetic diseases that we could actually cure by doing this and i thought that mm -hmm. was really great and it's solution based and i i just i like that i don't know what genetic diseases are out there that are going to start being cured but i think that's amazing Oh no! The the research around using viruses to fix genetic dis disorders is actually really fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, because we know that viruses are pretty easy to reprogram. So, that's to me exciting in that you know. I didn't. I these, didn't know that, by the way. Oh yeah. No. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the premise of zombie movies, mm -hmm. you know some of them start with the the premise that you know we had, uh, I think it's I Am Legend. We had reprogrammed the rabies virus mm. to yeah. be able to cure cancers. Yeah. So, like for example, we can program. We can we do we can do all sorts of crazy programming, and of course, then the premise is, is that you know you know we cured ten thousand cases of cancer. But then there was a mutation, and then people became zombies. Right. World no, War Z? Not, we, we uh, I am legend. We gave everybody oh. cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yep. that they couldn't, yeah. And then yep. uh, what is the Mila Jonovich one? Resident right? Evil. Resident Evil, where they just infected with a T-cell thing, right, that mutated everything. Right. Right. And, and of course, you know, that's one of those things. It's like, it makes for great sci-fi, but that's not how it works. Right. <laughs> you know? So of course people get all freaked out. It's like, Oh, we're going to create zombies. It's like, mm. look, I hope, but that's not going to happen. Right. Zombies kind of defy everything logical we know about life. <laughs> <laughs> but if we do, we do these test batches. We don't start with everybody. That's why vaccinine vaccines why do I always say vaccines? Vaccines start with a, a 30 people, then 50 people, 300 people, 3,000 people. Because if we infect everybody and turn them into zombies, it's just a small group of 30 people. Right. So it's, you know, 
it makes for great sci-fi. Unfortunately, if you know any, if you've done any sort of actual research about how any of this works, none of it's possible. Right. Which is why, why I always constantly joke that, you know, I just keep waiting for the zombie apocalypse. It's like, I know that it's never going to happen. (laughs) That's not how this stuff works. It's like most likely what ends up happening is, is that you end up killing your cells and you just die. It's like when people think, oh, radiation could turn me into a superhero. No, it (laughs) it just liquidates your DNA and then your cells and then you. Right. I heard, uh, Alex Jones, he Mm -hmm. said, he said they're creating zombie movies so that people growing up don't see people as people anymore and it makes it easier for military to do what they have to do and law enforcement to do what they're going to have to do and he went into this whole thing about how we're programming people to you know be killers and instead of people and i don't know why that stuck in my head he's like like the Bible, I only take a few things from it. I don't take it literally, but I take mm-hmm. sources from everywhere. I don't know why that made sense to me. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's interesting because at least with the army, there is precedent of using the idea of a zombie apocalypse to write protocol and trainings. Hmm. They do that. Nice. And so basically, you know, what they found is, is that when you ask people, when you ask them to, you know, play out a particular scenario like any normal scenario it's a lot harder for them to figure out how they would particularly work with that issue but if you turn it into a zombie apocalypse suddenly they get creative about how they're going to solve problems and they actually end up coming up with some good stuff as to how they're going to deal with some of these issues yeah so it's 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 kind of interesting because it's it allows there is a level of creativity that it allows, hmm. but as far as like the the whole oh it's you know we're just dehumanized no no there was an interesting story and I don't remember where it's from but this girl was was attacked and she just stabbed the guy in the eye you know and they were like why did you stab him in the eye and she's like zombies headshot. Kill the brain. Let's <laughs> go just, for it. I was like, you're pretty badass, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, and it's, that's one of those things, like, you know, we grew up with this whole notion of what does a fair fight look like? Uh-huh. And I've had to tell my, my, my kids, it's like, look, a fair fight is for the movies. Right. Like, if somebody is trying to actively harm you, <laughs> saving your life is the fair part of the fair fight. Right. You know, you're not there to be nice. You, no. It's like, well, if I hit them, won't it break their nose? It's like, yes, it will. Yes. And you could shove it into their brain. Yes, yes that is possible. But if, you, if the choice is your survival versus theirs, mm-hmm. choose yours. <laughs> yes. And I'll say to most people, aim for the knee. You know, most men have weak knees. You kick them in the knee, bend that thing backwards. Man, we're not coming at you. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, you know, I'm. I teach them like the quick spots. It's like, you know, the knees, the groin, the nose. And really it's about creating separation because you're not, you might not necessarily be able to sustain a long fight, but you can create enough separation to get your ass out of there and get help. Yes. And most people are taught to kick them for the balls, but believe it or not, you can just catch that, you know, catch that and you're stuck. Right. So don't. Right. Nope. Aim for the nose, but, you know, just stay away from the hands. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so it's just, you know, 
be smart about it. It's like you're not trying, you know, winning the fight is getting away a lot of times. Yes, I agree. I agree. So, no, but (laughs) I like how we go from voting to zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I do too. I keep trying to explain to people the show and I'm like, we started with HR1. Well, what'd you talk about? Somebody asked me, you know, every week, what'd you guys talk about? I don't even know. You know, I know what we ended with. I know what we started with. <laughs> right. Right. I know. Maybe maybe it's just that we secretly hope it all ends with zombies. Maybe. Right. I hope at least at least it would be it would be entertaining. Mon- maybe the monopole antibiotic will turn people into zombies. <laughs> Honestly, the research that I'm looking forward to is, is that now that we know where the programming to fight viruses is stored, and that we know that we can reprogram the body to fight cancers. I'm looking, mm. I'm excited to see what we'll do next when we figure out how to reprogram the body to fight all of these different diseases out there. Like, wow. you know, the, the, the invasive ones. And then when we figure out how to fight the genetic ones, to me, it's, that's an exciting realm. Yes. I because, agree. you know, you know, science is doing things that is, that are absolutely incredible and we're going to get it figured out. You know, the idea yeah. that, you know, you could, you know, like if you had cancer and you go see a doctor, they can take a, a sample of your cancer, figure out how to turn it into a vaccine, mm-hmm. inject your body and reprogram it to fight that particular cancer without having to do chemotherapy, without having to do radiation therapy. Yes. The idea that you can you can teach your body how to what to fight and how to fight it. Yes. That's incredible to me. That is incredible. Infecting people with sickle cell that they give them chemotherapy to make sure they're immune compromised and then they inject it into the bone marrow. And it's mm-hmm. just it's so cool to, for doctors to watch these things change, to watch the, sh- the cells disappear and turn into, that's got to be just so amazing for a researcher. And so shout out to every scientist, researcher, and weirdo that does that stuff. I'm just incredibly grateful that you're in the world, you know? Right. And, and to me, that's, that's always the exciting part is, is that when, you know, kind of like how, you know, everyday people from, you know, quote unquote enemy countries, you know, realize that they have more in common with each other than they do with the politicians mm-hmm. that are at the top fighting with each other. Scientists are, scientists are the same way in most cases, yep. you know, they, they all have the same end goal to, you know, better humanity. They don't care about the politics of it. It's, it's the fact that there's a way in which we can do things better for yes. everybody. Yes. Yes. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently for letting you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day 
have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get it and keep moving forward. How much you can take it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Podcast, the Stitcher Smart Radio app, Potable, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 